0: Online at KFUO.org.
1: Welcome to Concord Matters. Uh, this week, uh, as we are getting together one more time with uh, myself as host, actually three weeks in a row, I think. This is uh, summertime, so vacations for our hosts uh, and I'm just covering some of the ground, I guess. Uh, I'm this week's host, Pastor Joshua Shear, Senior Pastor at our Savior Lutheran Church here in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Coming to you remotely from Cheyenne, Wyoming, I have just one guest with me today, Pastor Daniel Hinton, who is the pastor at uh, Trinity Lutheran Church and School here in Cheyenne for just a little while longer, and then he will be installed uh, sometime here in August at, as pastor at Christ Lutheran Church in Lubbock, Texas. Welcome, Dan.
0: Thank you. Good to be here.
1: All right. Sorry, things got a little informal there for a second. Uh, We'll go back to formality. All right. So you're listening to Concord Matters, where we discuss matters of the Book of Concord, reading through it, commentating on it, and so forth. Uh, We are working in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, that is the defense of the Augsburg Confession against the Roman Catholic theologians who heard it and took issue with many issues in it. Uh, Apology, uh, we're in Article 15, so it's talking about... uh, Traditions, human traditions, and, and how they are useful in the church, but how they become uh, disasters in the church, uh, evil things in the church, when, of course, we attach salvific um, necessity to them, that that you need to do these things to be saved. Um, this is talking about human traditions. So this is not necessarily talking about baptism, Lord's Supper. These are institutions of Christ. We're talking about the human traditions that the Roman Catholic Church especially had attached to uh, that you have to observe these things in order to be saved as a Christian. Lutherans took objection to that. We uh, we like rites, we like traditions uh, for good order and all these good things. But uh, when it comes to salvation, uh, now we're we're treading in bad bad stuff when we're getting into that. So we left off paragraph 18. We're going to try to cover some ground today. So uh, hopefully uh, we'll get through a good portion of this and not finishing this article. Hopefully. All right. So here's article 15, starting at paragraph 18. Why do we need words on a subject so clear? If the adversaries defend these human services as meriting justification, grace, and the forgiveness of sins, they simply set up the kingdom of Antichrist. The kingdom of Antichrist is a new service of God, devised by human authority rejecting Jesus, rejecting Christ. Just as the kingdom of Muhammad has services and works through which it wishes to be justified before God, it does not hold that people are freely justified before God through faith for Christ's sake. So the papacy will also be a part of the kingdom of Antichrist if it defends human services as justifying in this way. For honor is taken away from Christ when they teach that we are not justified freely through faith, for Christ's sake, but by such services. This is especially true when they teach that such services are not only useful for justification, but are also necessary, as they maintain in Article 7. There they condemn us for saying that for the true unity of the church, it is not necessary that the rights instituted by human beings should be alike everywhere. Daniel chapter 11, verse 38 indicates that new human services will be the very form and basic principle of the kingdom of Antichrist. He says this, "'He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. A god whom his fathers did not know he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones.'" Here Daniel describes new services because he says that the fathers were ignorant of the God that shall be worshipped. Although the Holy Fathers themselves had both rights and traditions, they did not maintain that these are useful or necessary for justification. They did not cloud over Christ's glory and office, but taught that we are justified by faith for Christ's sake and not for the sake of these human services. The fathers celebrated human rights for the, for the body's benefit. For example, by such rites, the people would know what time they should gather so that, for the sake of example, all things might be done in order and properly in the churches, and that the common people might receive a sort of training. Distinctions of times and the variety of rites help in reminding the common people. The fathers maintained the rites for these reasons. We also conclude it is proper for these reasons to keep traditions or good customs. We are greatly surprised that the adversaries argue for another design of traditions, that they may merit the forgiveness of sins, grace, or justification. What else is this than to honor God with gold and silver, with precious stones, as Daniel 11.38 says? That is, to hold that God becomes reconciled by a variety in clothing, ornaments, and by similar rites, which are countless in human traditions. All right. So, Pastor Hinton, here we have it. We we see the introduction now that the kingdom of the Antichrist this is a this is a Lutheran teaching, that the office of the papacy uh, bears all the marks of the Antichrist, and so the kingdom of the Antichrist is there, uh the rule of the Antichrist. Here you have it boiled down to just uh the idea that um human services, meriting, justification, grace, and the forgiveness of sins is setting up the kingdom of Antichrist, which is in line with yes, Second Thessalonians chapter two. Or talks about how the Antichrist will set himself up in Christ's place. That is, he will put himself as the mediator between God and man, the one who dishes out the the forgiveness. And of course, in the Roman Catholic Church, we have that. So, then it moves on to this idea of Islam and Muhammad. You want to speak just for a little bit about these commonalities we've seen between the papacy and Islam?
0: Well, here I'm. I'm going to defer to uh, one of the fathers of the uh, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, Doctor Francis Pieper, uh, who who teaches. And by no means is he the first to teach this, but he teaches it very clearly in uh, in, a, in a work that, that pastors are taught during seminary called Christian Dogmatics. And he teaches that there are but two religions in the world. There is the religion of the law, and the religion of the gospel. Now, to be sure, the the, the true church, the the Christian church. Uh, the orthodox teaching does include God's law, but of course there is always the understanding, and um, if, if you've ever read any Lutheran theology anywhere of any kind, you've been told in many and various ways that the law will not save you. Your keeping of the law will not save you. Rites and ceremonies will not save you. Your sacrifices will not save you. Um, anything that has to do with with your work for God, will not save you. Your good works will not save you. Your love will not save you. Um, But by no means does this mean that these things are bad. Uh, So the, the Christian church does maintain the teaching of the law, but always, 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 always with this caveat that the law will not save you. All false religions have in common that in some way the law does save you in this way, uh, Roman Catholicism, particularly as it becomes identified in the counter reformation with the Council of Trent, where it anathematizes the gospel and and sends and 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 pretends that um, that anyone who teaches that uh, that man is saved by grace alone through faith alone will be going to hell. That would be uh, your pastors, you Lutherans who are listening um, and and any any false teaching or any any false gospel will have in common this this idea that somehow what you do whether it's your love your works your sacrifices your rights uh will will avail before god uh, as justification and so this this is something that that islam and uh and and uh, roman catholicism have in common is the idea that that one's works do merit uh, before god something like justification i'm obviously not qualified to speak too highly on particularly how muslims think of justification but all of the religions of the law have in common that god is somehow appeased satisfied impressed with uh will account as righteousness your works and that's true of all false religions is is they are all religions of the law in some way or another now the law that they have may be man made it may be you know kind of a a natural law sort of thing uh it may be it, it may even bear some resemblance to God's own law, but it will always have in common that these things save, and this is why uh, Melanchthon speaks, uh, again, we, we, we talked last week about how Melanchthon is not usually so um, um, pugnastic when he speaks, he's not usually so fighty when he when he writes and speaks. He's, he's very irenic, and he's a peacekeeper that sometimes drove Luther to push him a little bit, um, but when he writes this, he's, he's not flying off the handle and he's not exaggerating and he's not overstating it. This is of the Antichrist. This is absolutely set up in place of Christ and it is set up opposed to Christ. Any religion, whether it bears the, the name of Christ or not, any religion by any name that sets up some scheme where works save you is of the devil and it must be opposed as if it's of the devil.
1: Absolutely, you can go around town here in Cheyenne and you can find several buildings that talk about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And there is nothing more in there than the devil's own teachings. Uh, Salvation by works, which is, again, Antichrist, opposed to Jesus. All right, so then you see this tension throughout this whole article. You have, yes, the attack on the Roman Catholic rites and insistence that the rites have to be there and they have to be done for salvation and so forth. And they reference Augsburg... uh, uh, Confession Article Seven about what is the church where the Roman Catholic Church demanded that universal rights had to be observed for church unity, um, and and of course implied there is the, the salvation of those in that's why they had to have them because that's how people are saved right, uh, but here you have the tension in this whole article you have on the one side attacking these this you know this antichrist notion that these rights save, and then on the other side you have the Antinomian faction which is then Oh well, oh good. So we we don't have to have rights the same. Excellent. I can do whatever I want. We can do whatever we want, whenever we want, wherever we want. We're free. And of course, against that, you always have this tension. Then that we see in paragraph twenty, of uh, where they describe the fathers and 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 how the fathers celebrate human rights. Again, this is a note that, from Langton, for the Lutherans, we we try to be the the church Catholic, as in. This is, we're trying to be part of the church of all time. Not Roman Catholic, but the church Catholic. And so you see here the reference to the fathers. These would be the, the early church fathers. And it says, you know, they celebrate human rights for the body's benefit. They use examples like what time they would gather. Right? Can you imagine if your church never had a standard service time? That each week it varied based upon whatever the pastor wanted to do. Like, yeah, you know what, um, this Sunday I'm busy, so let's just do a Monday at 6 p.m. How about that? oh, uh, nah, let's change that to Tuesday about 2.30 in the afternoon. Um, this would be bad, right? It's, it's harmful to Christians who need to know when to gather. And and that's the, that, I mean, everybody jokes about, you know, having to come together at the same times, people having the same pews and things like that. But we're commending that right here about this is a good thing that has happened. Uh, you know, that, that order and, and properly training that there's a sort of training for common people uh, that's that's most of us by the way are common people um this is the, the not common people would have been like you know people at the seminaries uh, or the, you know at the universities at the time uh you know people that whose business was the church so they were gathering every day and so forth uh, but for the common people it was once a week and you would gather at right times and so forth and you have these things for training um for for rites to help in reminding the common people. Ah, reminding, that sounds like repetition, which of course is why we have the rites in the liturgy we do. Um, reminding, training, um, good customs. And then of course, you know, they, they tie themselves to us. They say, we also conclude it's proper for these reasons to keep these traditions. Uh, just a quick note here. If you're a congregation in the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, you've sworn to uphold the teachings of the Book of Concord. That means, in here in the Apology, Article 15, when it says that we we, we think it's proper to keep these traditions. Um, that's what you said when you became Lutheran, and when you, when you decided to be Lutheran, and when you want to stay to be Lutheran, is that these rights are a part of who we are. And we don't require them for salvation. That's, that's papistic talk, which we condemn. But in the same respect, for good order, love for training for reminding the common people we do keep them and so this is something that's important for us to realize as Lutherans and Lutheran pastors guess what you also swore to this in your ordination that you would conduct your entire ministry according to these confessions so this is a great thing a great gift to our church it's liberating it gives us gives us an, a, an who we are it not only prescribes who we are it describes who we are same difference this is who we are all right, let's look on to paragraph 22 and following. Uh, probably take a good section here, because again, we're just kind of vastly between kind of going against the Roman Catholic understanding, and then also then guarding against this antinomian freedom tendency, uh, and, and wanting to you know live in love with one another rather than in, in selfish freedom. All right. Uh, Paul writes to the Colossians that traditions have an appearance of wisdom. Indeed, they have. Good order is very fitting in the church, and it is for this reason necessary. Human reason, because it does not understand the righteousness of faith, naturally imagines that such works justify people because they reconcile God. Among the Israelites, the common people thought this, and by this opinion increased such ceremonies. Among us, ceremonies have grown in the monasteries. Human reason also thinks this about bodily exercises, such as fasts. Although the purpose of these bodily exercises is to hold the flesh in check, reason falsely adds that they are services that justify As Thomas writes, "...fasting avails for the extinguishing and prevention of guilt." These are Thomas' words. The look of wisdom and righteousness in such works tricks people. The examples of the saints are added. When people want to imitate these, they imitate for the most part the outward exercises. They do not imitate their faith. After this, look of wisdom and righteousness has deceived people. Then countless evils follow. The gospel about the righteousness of faith in Christ is clouded over, and empty confidence in such works succeeds. Then God's commandments are clouded over. These human works assume the title of a perfect and spiritual life. They are preferred more than the works of God's commandments, works of one's own calling, the administration of the state, the management of a family, married life, and the bringing up of children. Compared with those ceremonies, the latter are judged to be ungodly so that they are exercised by many with doubting consciences. For it is known that many have left the administration of the state and married life to welcome these human ceremonies as better and holier." All right, let's get into that just for a second. This happens not just in the church, this happens in the state and society. Uh, People take these ideas and they bring this kind of, sometimes you hear it referred to as neo-monasticism, but here, look at this: the the confessions lengthen when he says, you know, the works of one own one's own calling, the administration of the state. So there, the government is a, is a good thing, uh, given to us by God. Management of a family, you know, how 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 about that phrase? Stay at home, stay at home, mom. Right? How is that received by people's ears nowadays? Married life, right? How is that regarded amongst people nowadays? Um. Oh, we're married oh you know various things that happen there uh with different things in that and then of course the bringing up of children well you know that's great if it works into the career right um but here these are the these are the things that our confessions point to is great things wonderful things uh so these are these are good things pastor you have any comment on that
0: yes but why are they great this is the question are they great because in themselves they are impressive Are they great because in themselves they they please God or avail as righteousness? No. They're great because they serve the neighbor. They're great because they're done in faith. And this is the important thing, is that without faith we know it is impossible to, to please God. So those works done in faith even the very mundane ones that nobody sees the great example would be a mother changing the, the diaper of the baby i mean it's it's dirty dirty work it's quite literally dirty work it's smelly it's stinky it's um it's unappreciated the baby doesn't the, the baby might stop crying but the baby doesn't like shower praise on on his mother for having changed his diaper. One, he's come to expect it. And two, he doesn't understand the the magnificence and significance of the love involved in the very um, earthy flesh and blood act of changing the diaper of of one's child. But these works done in faith are greater than the the, the most ascetic uh, prophet out in the desert could have possibly done by his prayers. Because these are done in faith toward God, in service to the neighbor, and and this is what what Melanchthon is getting at when he talks about you know what what Thomas says that you know fasting avails for the extinguishing and prevention of guilt, and what ends up happening is that because of this understanding, people imitate the outward act that they see the great saints do. So they hear that some great monk did this that or the other thing, or that a uh, Saint Francis wore a cap, is what uh, what Melanchthon writes here. You know, supposedly Saint Francis wore a cap, and so people will will imitate these sorts of things. The outward things, though, are the only part that are being that are being imitated. The faith that lay under, and and perhaps at the time, some of these practices that were were done by the monks uh, began uh, good. You know, as as we say, even in the Catechism, that fast fasting is is a fine bodily preparation. Now, granted, we also say he is worthy and well-prepared who has faith in these words, uh, given and shed for the forgiveness of sins. So what, what is not imitated very often in the world, and, and particularly under the, the understanding that is happening in the Roman church that that the, the Lutherans are writing against, is that there is imitation of the saints going on, but it's only in the outward act. It's not in the faith that lay underneath it. And so what happens is these very great works that are done by these amazing saints, some of them we call mothers and fathers and, and, and family members and just, just ordinary folks that you would, you would not think of much in the eyes of the world. Nonetheless, because their works are done in faith toward God and they know that they serve and help their neighbor, these, these are great works that, that do please God. Not unto salvation at all. No. We we know that God is 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 propiti- that, that that God's wrath is propitiated only by the, the the blood of the Son of God dead on the cross. Nonetheless, we we do these good works because they're necessary because of God's will, and and so we we do these works. They serve their neighbor, and sometimes, as as Melanthin points out, they are very ordinary works. Um, but but this this serves to to undercut the the whole foundation of monasticism, which is more or less to leave the world and to live for oneself, building up a a pretend merit for oneself when in reality the works done in faith by Christian parents and Christian citizens and Christian rulers and employers are are much greater than any of these because they are done in faith toward God.
1: Indeed. Faith towards God, faith based upon even the commandments of God that tell us what a good work really is. Wonderful gift. All right, so let's look at paragraphs 27 and following here before we run up against the hard break. Um, Nor is this enough. When the belief has possessed minds that such ceremonies are necessary for justification, consciences are in miserable anxiety because they cannot exactly perform all ceremonies. How many are there who could list all these ceremonies? They are immense books, indeed whole libraries, containing not a syllable about Christ, about faith in Christ, about the good works of one's own calling. They only collect the traditions and interpretations by which they are sometimes made quite strict and sometimes relaxed. How the most excellent man, Gerson, is tortured when he searches for the steps and extent of the rules, yet he is not able to fix mitigation in the the definite grade. Meanwhile, he deeply regrets the dangers to godly consciences that this strict interpretation of the traditions produces. Against this look of wisdom and righteousness and human rights which tricks people, let us strengthen ourselves by God's word. Let us know, first of all, that these rights neither merit the forgiveness of sins or justification before God, nor are they necessary for justification. We have mentioned some testimonies above. Paul is full of them. To the Colossians he clearly says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Here he welcomes both Moses' law and human traditions at the same time, so that the adversaries may not dodge these testimonies according to their custom, on the ground that Paul speaks only about Moses' law. He clearly testifies here that he is speaking of human traditions, However, the adversaries do not see what they are saying. If the gospel says that Moses' ceremonies which were divinely instituted do not justify, how much less do human traditions justify? All right, great section here. We just got about a little bit of of a minute before. Again, here we are hammering against this idea that human traditions and even here hammering against the fact that you know divine law and commands save um, that that these Moseses instituted, you know, by God's command, all those things we read about in the in the first five books of the Old Testament, that they would merit justification. Uh, they don't. Only faith in Christ does, and it's been that way forever. And so this is what the Lutherans are going to be going after. When we get back after the break, we'll take this up again, and we will cover some of the next paragraphs. We're going to hopefully get through the, the whole Article 15 here today, hopefully. And uh, we will take care of that. Uh, there's a great section coming up with paragraph 38 and following, and we hope to get to that discuss it today. You're listening to Concord Matters here on KFUO am Radio, the messenger of the good news. Uh, you're listening to uh, us from Cheyenne, Wyoming today as we're going through the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. We'll be right back after the break.
2: Tuesday on Issues Etc., we'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday School lesson on Jesus' teaching about forgiveness in Matthew Chapter 18, and we'll discuss Defending the Christian Faith with Dr. Alan Quist, author of the book, The Reason I Believe. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. I'm World Lutheran News Digest host, Kip Allen. What do we know about Brett Kavanaugh, the president's nominee to the U.S. Supreme Court? Focus on the family vice president, Ted Geglein, has known Judge Kavanaugh for 20 years. Tim and I speak about the president's nominee on today's World Lutheran News Digest. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 and Saturday at 9.30 on Worldwide KFUO. Your smartphone takes you anywhere instantly. At a click, you can read, watch, or hear just about anything. Some websites are good, some are bad. Some sites truthful, but others are deceptive. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hear the truth of Jesus daily on Worldwide KFUO. Using today's smartphone technology, KFUO brings the gospel to you wherever you are. KFUO is just a click away, 24 hours a day. KFUO.org It's a face-off on the footbridge. You're to let me cross over first, because I'm a girl. Boys never go back. On one side, Nancy Wright. My father is an admiral in the Queen's Navy. On the other side, Teddy Platt. My father was a hero in the Queen's Army. It's a showdown that will go down in history, or at least in the water, as the most popular lamplighter book of all time comes to life in Teddy's Button, on the next Lamplighter Theatre. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. We have a liftoff. Did you know a tiny microfilm Bible was the first to make a lunar landing with
0: Apollo 14? The Bible, just an inch and a half by an inch and a half, can be read only with a microscope and is today being called by collectors one of the rarest books in the world. We got a fire the The Lunar Bible began on a tragic note on January 27, 1967. During a
2: launch pad test, a flash fire broke out and three astronauts were killed. Before his death, lunar module pilot Ed White said to a reporter he hoped someday to take a Bible to the moon. To honor the astronaut's memory, a series of events
0: took place over many years, until White's dream was finally realized in 1971 when astronaut Edgar Mitchell took the Lunar Bible to the moon. Engage with the Bible and its impact and influence in time and space. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible.
1: Welcome back to Concord Matters here on AM Radio, the messenger of the good news. I am this week's host, Pastor Joshua Shear, Senior Pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church, coming to you live from Cheyenne, Wyoming. My guest today is Pastor Dan Hinton, who is Pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church here in Cheyenne, also soon to be Pastor at Christ Lutheran Church in Lubbock, Texas. All right, we went off to the break, and we are just, again, seeing all the ways in which Melanchthon here is going after the idea that traditions save He's not going after traditions. He's going after the idea that traditions justify, that the observing of the tradition itself is a salvific work, which is a fundamental teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. And it's also one of the things they came after the Lutherans for, that Lutherans uh, don't believe these things. In fact, we have traditions and we keep to them for, for very good reasons, good order, love, training, all these good things, uh, but not for salvation reasons. And so we've we've covered that. We'll pick up at paragraph 31 here in Article 15 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Neither do the bishops have the power to institute services as though they justified or were necessary for justification. Yes, the apostles say, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke and so forth, where Peter declares this effort to burden the church a great sin? Paul forbids the Galatians, do not, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Therefore, it is the will of the apostles that this freedom remain in the church, that no services of the law or of traditions be considered necessary, just as ceremonies were necessary for a time in the law, lest the righteousness of faith be clouded over. This would be the case if people judged that these services merit justification or are necessary for justification. Many seek various mitigations in traditions, uh, to heal consciences. Yet they do not find any sure steps by which to free consciences from these chains. Just as Alexander solved the Gordian knot once for all by cutting it with his sword when he could not disentangle it, so the apostles free consciences from traditions once for all, especially if they are taught to merit justification. The apostles drive us to oppose this doctrine by teaching and examples, They drive us to teach that traditions do not justify, that they are not necessary for justification, and that no one should invent or receive traditions with the opinion that they merit justification. Then, even if anyone should celebrate them, let them be celebrated as civil customs without superstition, just as soldiers are clothed in one way and scholars in another without superstition. The apostles violate traditions and are excused by Christ the example was shown to the pharisees that these services do not benefit if our people neglect some traditions that are of little help they are now excused well enough when these are required as though they merit justification for such an un- opinion regarding traditions is ungodly all right so we've heard the phrase antichrist we've used the phrase uh, evil here you have ungodly uh, you you've got you know that the they're they're using the reason and wisdom of the world and so forth All these reasons are why these traditions, rites, ceremonies do not merit justification. But that's the issue, not the issue of the rites and ceremonies. This is a key distinction to keep making, because we are constantly making the problem with this of, oh, the traditions are the problem. No, it's the teaching or the trust in the traditions to merit salvation or justification in this case as we're we're using the language of the confessions. So, um, let's move into this, this meaty section of paragraph 38 and following. Uh, so I'll read that and then I think Pastor Hinton and I are going to probably have a lengthy discussion for the remainder of the show, I'm guessing. We cheerfully maintain the tr- old traditions made in the church for the sake of usefulness and peace. We interpret them in a more moderate way and reject the opinion that holds they justify. Our enemies falsely accuse us of setting aside good ordinances and church discipline. We can truly declare that the public form of the churches is more fitting with us than with the adversaries. If anyone will consider it in the right way, we conform to the canons more closely than the adversaries. Among the adversaries, unwilling celebrants and those hired for pay, and very frequently only for pay, celebrate the masses. They sing psalms, not that they may learn or pray, but for the sake of the service, as though this work were a service, or at least for the sake of the reward. Among us, many use the Lord's Supper every Lord's Day. They do so after they have been first instructed, examined, and absolved. The children sing psalms in order that they may learn. The people also sing so that they may either learn or pray. Among the adversaries, there is no catechizing of the children whatever, about which even the canons give commands. Among us, the pastors and ministers of the churches are encouraged publicly to instruct and hear the youth. This ceremony produces the best fruit. Among the adversaries in many regions, no sermons are delivered during the entire year except during Lent. Yet the chief service of God is to preach the gospel. When the adversaries do preach, they speak of human traditions, of the worship of saints and similar trifles, which the people justly hate. Therefore they are immediately deserted in the beginning after the reading of the Gospel text. A few better ones begin now to speak of good works, but about the righteousness of faith, faith in Christ, and the comfort of consciences, they say nothing. Indeed, this most wholesome part of the gospel they rail at with their reproaches. On the contrary, in our churches, all the sermons are filled with such topics as these. Repentance, the fear of God, faith in Christ, the righteousness of faith, the comfort of consciences by faith, the exercises of faith, prayer, what its nature should be and what we should be fully confident that is powerful, that it is heard the cross, the authority of officials and of all civil ordinances, the distinction between the kingdom of Christ or the spiritual kingdom and political affairs, marriage, the education and instruction of children, chastity, all the offices of love. From this condition of the churches, it may be determined that we earnestly keep church discipline, godly ceremonies, and good church customs. All right, Pastor Hinton. So we have this general statement made at the beginning, and then we have these comparisons between what's happening in Roman Catholic parishes, that is, congregations, and then also then Lutheran congregations, what's happening actually in these parishes. Uh, a little description here of, of what, uh, what Reformation life in Europe was looking like. Uh, we'll just open it up for you and start give a comment on some of this stuff.
0: Yeah, th- this is magnificent. This is magnificent stuff. It all is, of course, but um, but this is magnificently magnificent. It's doubly magnificent. For one thing, there there is there is a picture that, that Melanchthon is painting of the Lutheran churches, and there's a picture that's being painted of the Roman Catholic churches. And in the Lutheran churches, the children are being taught the faith. Why? Because salvation is by faith alone. That's Lutheran. I can't find it in the Latin, so I'm going to assume it's in the German. And the German here in uh, in these paragraphs is much longer than the Latin, so I'm going to assume that there's more there. But but Melanchthon makes this side note. I'm assuming in the in the German that uh, that the Roman Catholics have a name they call for preaching that actually consoles the conscience. You know what they give that name? Lutheran. That's what they call it. They sneer at it. We Lutherans should not be ashamed of that at all. And for that same reason. We shouldn't be ashamed of the name Lutheran either. We should be joyfully Lutheran, as a matter of fact. It should give us great joy and pleasure to suffer the scorn of evil, wicked men who follow the Antichrist and call the preaching of the true gospel, which is alone able to save souls and, and, and salve the wounded conscience. And they call it Lutheran. We should joy to be to be called that. If that's what I'm going to be called, Great. That's that's magnificent. And and Melanchthon here is, is is contrasting two churches. One in which the children are taught the faith, that they may have faith, and the other where well, there's a lot of pretty ceremonies going on. I'm sure there's lots of all kinds of cool artwork and vestments and chanting and everything else. Those things are fine, but what's missing is faith. There's no faith behind any of it. In which case, doesn't matter how pretty it is. If there's no faith there, there's no gospel of Jesus Christ then all of it is for nothing and it's, it's more than nothing it's flat out wicked in the Lutheran churches the children are being taught the faith is being preached the, the, the Lutheran understanding of the gospel that it actually salves the conscience uh, and, and, and provides the forgiveness of sins this is being proclaimed purely from our pulpits and that's still true today it still is in Lutheran churches. And then at the very end, Melanchthon goes into a discussion of, um, of what's going on, and at the very end he concludes, from this condition of the churches, that is, the, the Church of Rome with its empty ceremony, and the Church of the Lutherans, that is, the churches of, of the Augsburg Confession, which, yes, still maintain the ceremony, but also, and most importantly, maintain the teaching of the pure gospel of Jesus Christ for the salvation of sinners. Melanchthon concludes, it may be judged that we diligently maintain church discipline and godly ceremonies and good church customs. He's anticipating, and, and, and at this point in history he's beginning to encounter some of it, and, and the rest of the Lutherans are as well, but as this is kind of the, the Reformation and microcosm where we, we start hitting Rome hard, we Lutherans, we hit Rome hard for their works righteousness. And then, freed of works righteousness, now the spirit of antinomianism rises up, and people say, oh, I'm free. I'm free from having to do works to save myself. True, entirely true. But then, they use that freedom in a wicked way to abolish ceremonies that were there for good order. As Pastor Sheer said, one really simple human custom is what time you have church. Could you imagine, as as he said, a a congregation where you didn't have church at a set time? It would be chaotic, and worse than chaotic, worse than just not knowing. You would also be neglecting the discipline that comes along with it, the discipline of the soul and the mortification of the flesh. And the most important thing, you would be loveless toward the neighbor, because now you've thrown your neighbor into chaos, and you've upset his uh, his spiritual disciplines by which he comes to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore he concludes, and as Pastor Sheer mentioned, for all of you who are members of Lutheran Church Missouri Synod congregations or are pastors of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, the pastors and congregations of this synod have sworn, have vowed before God himself that this is our confession, from this condition of the churches, it may be judged that we diligently maintain church discipline and godly ceremonies and church customs. This is our confession.
1: Absolutely. And uh, and this is the thing. I mean, you, you talk about joyfully Lutheran. We cheerfully maintain the old traditions made in the church for the sake of usefulness and peace. Cheerfully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the the whole joy and, and cheerful and so forth does not belong to those who would just be happy and clap and so forth. Uh, this is no, this is part of our, our identity as Lutherans being being joyfully Lutheran, that is fully Lutheran, and the joy that that produces because, of course, it's true joy from the gospel that we have this, this great treasure, and it frees us to actually submit to good order. And so this is great. You have uh, the, the Lord's Supper being used every Lord's Day. So Sunday worship is established and we have communion offered there. And then that uh, children are brought forward and they receive communion after they've been instructed, examined, absolved. So there's some catechesis that goes on, examination, and then absolution. That is, they're partaking in, in confession and absolution. Uh, great stuff. That The children sing psalms so they can learn. And then people sing. And they sing so that they either learn or pray. Yeah, the Lutherans are the singing church. Well, why do we sing? Because we like to sing? Well, it's glad I'm glad when people like to sing, but we sing why? Because it's that we would learn or pray. And of course, if you look at the, at the old Lutheran hymns, you'll find that they are, are great for A teaching, and B, praying. And so uh, your hymnal becomes a prayer book. And a teaching book, real quick. um, When you start to understand the hymns that we have, and the great treasure we have there, then you see here just this comparison, right? Um, The preaching, the preaching comparison, and of course, you know, the beautiful, the the chief service of God is to preach the gospel. So this is this is the beauty of preaching. Jesus commands it; it needs to be done, and and just the the preeminence of preaching in the Lutherans this is it what we do we have preaching we have sermons you know and and this is then of course it talks about how the the roman catholics preaching will go and it sounds like it's it's pretty flat uh, it doesn't happen in many places until advent or lent and then of course uh, they talk about a few things and maybe we'll talk about good works at some point um you know no, right but they don't talk about faith in christ the righteousness that comes from faith that that which the comfort of the consciences but then you see this beautiful list of preaching for the Lutherans, and of course, you know, if, if you're looking at uh, looking at the preaching of your pastor, or if your pastor's looking at this, going, "Oh, there's some topics in there that maybe I haven't covered real well." Well, guess what? Start using the historic one-year lectionary, and you'll find these topics thrown in throughout the church. Here, um, it's kind of the, the, it's the lectionary that Luther used, and, and Melanchthon would have known when he's going through this and talking about what's taught through the church. And the preaching, he's talking about this kind of stuff from the lectionary. So you see here the content of Lutheran sermons, uh, just topics, right? And they're not talking that they're not preaching the texts, but the texts have been selected to teach the topics. Um, and so this is the, the the way the one-year lectionary was arranged, to teach the whole counsel of God in a year. And then, of course, what do you do next year? You repeat it, and you remind people of it. And so that's the beauty of it. And you see repentance, fear of God, faith in Christ. When's the last time we heard a, uh, maybe you want to just think about this as you're listening. When's the last time you heard a sermon about the fear of God? Hmm? You want to talk about something that's missing in our, in our world especially, but what about missing in our churches? The fear of God. Right? Uh, faith in Christ, yeah, The comfort of consciences, always key. Uh, but then you see here the, the, the distinction between kingdoms of christ and the political affairs hmm sermons about church and state maybe sermons about the three estates that is uh the 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 church the state and the home right all these good things a sermon on chastity in our uh sexual freedom nowadays how would a sermon on chastity be received um that's uh, of course would would bring about Some instruction from the law, which would, of course, vex consciences of sins, right? Well, what do we do with that? Well, we go back to what what we do with this, comfort of consciences, the forgiveness of sins, right? Great stuff. All right, so let's look at uh, paragraph 45 and following. We teach this about the putting to death of the flesh and discipline of the body. Just as the Confession states, a true and not a false putting-to-death mortification happens through the cross and troubles by which God exercises us. In them we must obey God's will, as Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. They are the spiritual exercises of fear and faith. In addition to this putting-to-death which happens through the cross, there is also a necessary voluntary exercise. Christ says, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. And Paul says, I discipline my body and keep it under control, and so on. These exercises are to be accepted not because they are services that justify, but because they are assumed to control the flesh. Should overindulgence overpower us and make us secure and unconcerned, this results in people indulging and obeying the tendencies of the flesh. This effort at mortification should be constant because it is God's permanent command. The required order of certain meats and times does nothing towards controlling the flesh, for it is more, more overflowing and costly than other feasts. Not even the adversaries obey the order given in the canons. This topic about traditions contains many and different controversial questions. We have actually experienced that traditions are truly traps of consciences, When traditions are required as necessary, they torture in terrible ways the conscience, leaving out any ceremony. The repeal of ceremonies has its own evils and its own questions. But we have an easy and plain case because the adversaries condemn us for teaching that human traditions do not merit the forgiveness of sins. Likewise, the adversaries require universal traditions, as they call them, as necessary for justification. Here we have Paul as a constant champion who argues everywhere that these ceremonies neither justify nor are they necessary additions to the righteousness of faith. Still, we teach that freedom should be so controlled that the inexperienced may not be offended and because of freedom's abuse may not become more opposed to the true doctrine of the gospel. Nothing in customary rites should be changed without a reasonable cause. So to nurture unity, old customs that can be kept without sin or great inconvenience should be kept. In this very assembly we have shown well enough that for love's sake we do not refuse to keep Adiaphora with others, even though they may be burdensome. We have judged that such public unity which could indeed be produced without offending consciences, should be preferred. We shall speak about this entire subject later when we present on vows and church authority. All right, so ends Article 15 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. All right, mortification of the flesh, Pastor. And you talked about this a little bit ago. We're running a little bit short on time, so we've got to make some quick answers here. Mortification of the flesh, discipline of the body. Um... What's, what's this about troubles, crossing troubles, which God exercises us? Uh, so, so the tough times in life sometimes are given to us by God, right?
0: Yes, they are. Some, sometimes troubles are, 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 are come to us uh, by God, not, not merely allowing them to happen, but even sometimes sending them. And the reason, the reason that God permits us to suffer is that, that in suffering we learn to trust in him and in him alone. This is a first commandment thing. This is how he teaches us to have faith in him. Um, Jesus warns those who are self-satisfied, we might use the word rich, but those who are self-satisfied, those who don't think they need anything from God, that it is extraordinarily difficult for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, those who believe they need nothing from God have no need for a savior. And those who have no need for a savior will not trust in Christ as their salvation from sin and death. So the Lord often sends uh, suffering, for his saints not because he hates them no that's the theology of glory no he 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 will often either allow or sometimes send suffering in order to teach us to trust in him for all good things and and he has promised an end to all suffering but he's not promised an end to suffering in this world and so as as we go through this world as we do suffer and and we we struggle um we're not we're not reinventing the the Christian faith or the exercises of the Christian faith these traditions help us to mortify the flesh, to put the flesh to death. That is to say, that old Adam in us that wants to sin and rebel against God, and and, and in, in this context especially, to have his own way, to insist on his own way even. Um, we, we put that old Adam to death for the sake of love. And and I think that, that many times when these words are heard, they don't hear anything about the love. But it's precisely for the sake of love that, that we keep these old ceremonies and again as I've said um, Lutheran pastors and Lutheran congregations have sworn that this is their confession that for the sake of love they will not change the, the received ceremonies of the church um, provided they don't obscure the gospel um, you don't you don't have a you you, you don't have this um, this visionary sort of pastor come in and say well I, I think that that having Christmas on December 25th um, is not necessary for faith, which is true. It's not necessary for justification, also true. Therefore, uh, maybe we'll have it in June instead. Well, that's horrible. That 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 ruins everyone's uh, discipline of the church year. That um, th- that that teaches them to to think of and observe the life of Christ uh, over the course of the year, and that's that's a beloved tradition uh, among us Lutherans. And likewise, you could imagine uh, some visionary pastor coming in and. and uh, messing with the ceremonies and the rites of the church for the same reason because he thinks he can do better. Well that's also to be avoided.
1: Yeah, I mean and and the beautiful thing here about this mortification being tied in with the ceremonies is uh nowadays we 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 have almost the opposite attitude that no, I like this and so I'm going to do this. I like it this way. I like it you know, how, notice how much the the language of worship gets wrapped up in preference now. That's actually what this is condemning. We're to mortify that aspect of our flesh. Uh that, that aspect that, you know, oh I really like it this way. That way really uh makes me feel good. No, it's actually saying the exact opposite. No, we're gonna condemn the understanding that these things save, but then we're also gonna condemn you wanting to run things by your own feelings. Um, that, that, no, we keep these things as they are. In fact, that paragraph 51 is just gorgeous how it says, you know, we teach freedom should be so controlled and the experienced may not be offended because of freedom's abuse. They even go on to say that, that, <laughs> that they, they want to keep these things even though they might be burdensome. That, oh, I know that this is maybe not always the greatest way it's done, but, and it might be a little harder to do it this way than another way, but for the sake of our unity together let's just keep doing it this way boy if that attitude and that mindset could return uh, that is if love could return uh, how how well off we would be as a church uh, and and all these little wars worship wars and everything else we have uh, would dissipate under love true love not selfish love not the love that claims rights and so forth All right, so, all right, you've been listening to KFUAM Radio. We are coming to the end of our show. We have covered the apology, of the Augsburg Confession, the 15th article on human traditions they do not save. But yet, we are not to use our freedom to do whatever we want. We're to we're to follow these things for the sake of good order, discipline, training, uh showing love, unity amongst all of our churches. What a wonderful blessing these rites and ceremonies we have have been given to us so we can cheerfully maintain these old traditions, not to save us, but because they're good for us and they and they are uh wonderful gifts from those who came before us, uh and, and wonderful things to keep on to for, for all kinds of good reasons. Um yeah, so Go to church. Hopefully you find a church that has the old traditional rites and ceremonies. Those are good for us. As Lutherans, that's what we confess we're going to use. So uh, go and partake in these things and uh, enjoy, of course, that chief service of God that is the preaching of the gospel. Go on and hear the gospel this weekend for the good of your conscience, the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, We'll catch up with you next week here on Concord Matters on KFUO AM Radio.